0: In the name of Jesus. Amen. Dear Saints, we continue for the third week now uh, dealing with uh, the devil and the demons, this whole theme of spiritual warfare that highlights the season of Lent. And this will, in fact, continue throughout the entirety of the season of Lent, other than next Sunday, which is Letere. It's one of the Rejoice Sundays. It's the the Sunday where it kind of lightens a little bit. We go into John 6 and the bread of life, but then we will return the following week back into dealing with the devil. Uh, this is kind of what Lent sets up for us, that there is this, this struggle between uh, the, the devil and the Lord, and particularly between Jesus. This starts when he goes into the wilderness after his baptism and is, been, is tempted uh, by the devil. It shows up last week when he's dealing with the, the Canaanite woman who has her daughter possessed by a demon. And now it shows up again uh, as uh, the the Lord casts out a demon, but then kind of unpacks a bit for us of what's going on behind the scenes and gives us some instruction and encouragement and warning uh, in in regard to this spiritual warfare that's that's always around us, and and this sets in place a rather important. Uh, Reality that the Lord would have us know is that we're always fighting against these things. We're always fighting against the devil. We're always fighting against the demons and evil. Uh, This, in fact, is what the Lord gives to us when we pray the Lord's Prayer, for instance. We see this in the last petition, deliver us from evil, but it turns out Luther does a wonderful job in the Large Catechism unpacking all this, that in all the petitions, we are praying not only for the things of God, but against the things of the devil. So, for instance, uh, we not only pray that God's name would be holy among us, but also that the devil's name, which we'll hear in a couple of weeks, is liar and murderer and all these sorts of things, that that name would be brought to nothing. Uh, We pray not only uh, for God's kingdom, we pray against the devil's kingdom. We pray for God's will and against the devil's will. We pray that we would receive from the Lord and that the devil would be prevented from stealing away. We pray that we would be forgiven from the Lord and the devil would be prevented from binding us in our consciences to our sins. We pray that we would be Uh, Even though we are tested by the Lord, we would not fall into the temptations of the devil. And then, ultimately, we pray that we would be delivered from evil, both in this life and in the life of the world to come. Now, that having been said, what what does this this sort of warfare look like? Well, it starts as Jesus is going through and he's casting out another demon— which you would think would be well-received. This is kind of one of the odd things that shows up in the Gospels. Jesus does stuff that is good, that's holy and righteous, and you would think that the people around him would receive it that way. But because they've become so hardened in their hearts already toward who Jesus is and what he's doing for them, they can't even receive these things. They can't even receive the casting out of a demon in a good way. So you get this, in, instead of rejoicing that a man who's mute and has a demon, has the demon cast out and allows him to speak and confess and all these things. Instead, they grumble about it and they start calling Jesus' names. They say that you cast out demons by Beelzebul. Side note on this, if you don't know who Beelzebul is, he's one of the the old uh, pagan deities. Um, He is the Lord of the Flies. Um, That's what his name means. This is actually why the Old Testament reading is paired with this gospel text because it's showing uh, who the actual Lord of the Flies is. It is the Lord who created the flies and can command the flies. It's not Beelzebub, as it turns out. Uh, He is an imposter, Lord of the Flies. But nonetheless, this this is an insult that's levied against Jesus to say that he is operating not with the authority of God, but with the authority of the devil. And and Jesus runs right up against this, and he he calls this out for what it is. It is silliness. Um, and he, he gives this, uh, this statement that is important. How can a kingdom divided against itself stand? Uh, and it can't. And he says as much, that, that if, the, if the devil is divided against himself, he's brought to nothing. But also we should hear the converse of that, that if the Lord's church is divided against itself, it will also be brought to nothing. A kingdom, regardless of which kingdom it is, whether it is the devil's kingdom or the Lord's kingdom, a kingdom that is divided cannot stand. A kingdom must be united in order to actually stand. And and this is a good reminder for us where... As the Lord's Christians, as the Lord's church, where are we united? We are united fundamentally around the scriptures, around His Word. That is the source of our unity. That is where all of our unity has to flow from, which is why it is important for us to always be around that center point. Uh, we remember that the way we define the church is even centered around this that the church is the Lord's saints gathered around the gospel, purely preached and the sacraments rightly administered, or as we get in small called sheep who hear the voice of their shepherd. It's always the word because uh, even the sacraments are not the sacraments unless you have God's word sitting at their core. Without the word of God, it is plain water and no baptism, for instance. So we are to be united around God's word, which is why we gather around it for worship. It's why we gather around it uh, for study. It's why everything that we do, both in this building and outside of this building, is always centered on what the Lord gives us in the scriptures. Because a house divided against itself cannot stand. Then Jesus digs into what's actually going on in this, in this house. And he gives us this parable, a little, little two verses parable. He talks about a strong man who is hoarding all his goods, and in his home they're safe, he's keeping them, and nobody can plunder them from him unless he first binds a strong man. A a stronger man has to come in and bind him, and then he may indeed plunder his goods. And this is a parable about Jesus and the devil, that uh, Jesus is not the strong man, Jesus is the stronger Man. The devil, though, is the strong man. And this is this is important. It's as we uh, sing in a mighty fortress that, that the devil is strong. He's a mighty foe. Uh, with, with might of ours cannot prevail. We are not stronger than the devil is. He is in fact stronger than us. We are captive to him apart from the work of Christ to free us. But sitting in here, and we'll get back to this in a minute, but sitting in here is an important note that uh, Jesus says that those who are in the devil's house, it it says that they are safe. Um, It's not quite the right word there. It is the word for at peace. Those who are in the devil's house are at peace. They, They don't even realize where they're at. And this is why part of the picture of things like evangelism, for example, um, you get the fishing metaphor of pulling fish out of the sea. If you've ever gone fishing and you pull a fish out of the water, you know how little the, the fish likes that. It wants to be back in the water because it thinks that that's where it should be. The same thing when we are called fish, that the Lord is um, making the disciples and the apostles as fishers of men, that we are going to be resistant to that whole process. Sheep as well, another example of the Lord describing us in a way in which is not really all that flattering. Sheep are uh, very characterized by the fact that they like to go where they're not supposed to go. And then you have this, of where we are in our fallenness, in our original sin, that we are captive in the devil's house. We belong to him. He is our father in sin. And the only hope then is for someone to come in and drag us out of the house. And we will probably uh, be kicking and screaming as that's happening because we think that we're being pulled away from our home until we realize after the fact, sometimes much after the fact, uh, where we actually were and how merciful the Lord was to come in and pilfer us. Um, It's a wonderful picture that the Lord paints for us here. Uh, This is, though, driving back into what's just happened with, with the man. The man who was demon-possessed, he was held in captive in bondage to the devil in a very uh, external way by being possessed. And Jesus frees him from that. But that's going to lead into the very next thing. That's not quite enough yet. It's not, quite en- it's not enough just to be taken out of the house to go into the parable. You have to be put into a new house. You can't just be left as, a, as an orphan, abandoned on the side of the road. That's going to do you no good. In the same way... Uh, you can't just clean the house out and just leave it empty. You can't just get get rid of the demons and think that everything's going to be fine. Because then what happens is the demons who want to have themselves a home and it turns out their home, their preferred dwelling place is within us, that they're going to come back and as Jesus says, he'll bring uh, seven others more uh, evil than, than himself and the last state of the person will be worse than the first. That if we don't, fill the cleansed house with something that is good then it's no good to actually clean the thing this goes back to the initial point why we must be gathered around god's word that's the thing that actually needs to fill that house the holy spirit working through the word as he's promised dwells in us he makes our bodies his dwelling place jesus as well promises to make our bodies his dwelling place and he does this through his word. And so Jesus clears, clears it out. Uh, this happens especially in baptism and in general when we are brought to faith. But then we want to fill that house, every nook and cranny of it, with the Lord's word so that when the, dev- when the devil and the demons try and come back, there's no place for them. And they're driven away by the thing that drove them away in the first place and that is the Lord's word. This is what the last part of the, the text is doing. Uh, it seems out of place until you realize what's going on. Uh, this lady comes up and she says, "Blessed are, uh, ble- blessed is is your mother," essentially. And and Jesus, uh, sure, that's that's fine, right? The, the angel Gabriel actually says this uh, er- earlier in Luke that, uh, G- that that Mary is blessed among women. But Jesus pushes back against this because it's not the point of what he's been saying, that this lady who's been sitting and listening to him the whole time apparently has kind of uh, lost the, the hook. So he redirects, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That's the thing that's going to fill the house. That's the thing that's going to drive out the demons. That's the thing that's going to bind the strong man. It is the word of God at the center always that is accomplishing all of these things. Now, back into the strong man, because we wanna make this point. We mentioned that Jesus is the one coming in and binding the strong man. And he certainly does this with his word. You see this in the temptation where he fights against the devil with, it is written over and over and over. But he also fights against the devil with something else. And he fights against the devil, especially with his own death and resurrection. This is the, the wonderful thing that shows up in here, that the stronger man is strong in his weakness. The stronger man binds the strong man through his death. The stronger man, Jesus, doesn't bind the strong man, the devil, by nailing the devil to a cross. He nails himself to a cross. He gives himself over to death. That's where the devil becomes bound. He doesn't place the devil into a grave. He places himself into a grave. He doesn't raise the devil from the dead. He raises himself from the dead. This is the strength of the Lord. Because in this, what Jesus is doing is he is defeating all of the, we might call tools of the devil, all the things that the devil uses to fight against us. The the devil, like God, uses means, uses things in this world in order to, to interact with us and engage with us and fight against us. And there are three particular things that he does that with. One is that he comes before the Lord, before the throne of God, uh, and accuses us. This, this is his, what, if we remember what Satan means, it means accuser, prosecuting attorney. He's coming before the throne of God, and he's accusing us of all of our sins, and we can only plead guilty. But the Lord, in his death and his resurrection, has taken that guilt upon himself so that God, the just judge, declares us, in Jesus to be not guilty. So that takes away one of the tools. He also brings along uh, our own sin, particularly to, to plague our conscience, uh, to, to think that we are, um, we are eternally separated from God or that we are not deserving of, of being with God or any of these sorts of things. And when Jesus takes our sin and he nails it to the, uh, to the cross in his own body and he buries it in the tomb, he leaves it there so that it can plague our consciences no more. It's not that our sin doesn't exist, but it can no longer accuse us. It no longer has power over us. And then the big thing that the the devil likes to use in order to attack us is death itself. This is this uh, marvelous passage in Hebrews where uh, the, the preacher says, "'Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, "'he himself likewise partook of the same things.'" Jesus took on flesh and blood so that through his death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and to free all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The devil walks up to us at the end of the day with his arm over the shoulder of death. This, this is the picture. And he says, look who my buddy is. Look who, I can, look who I can send after you. That is one of his biggest tools that he fights against us with. And Jesus by conquering death with his own death, destroys death. And he destroys its power, and he destroys the power of the devil to use it against us. So that now the devil can walk up with death all he wants, and we can look at death and realize that death doesn't have any teeth anymore. He's just an an old man with with gums, and he's not going to be able to do anything to us. Because Jesus has already died, and Jesus has already been raised. And he is for us the first fruits of that. So the devil has no more power. This is how we fight against him. This is what the the Lord gives us. His own death, his own resurrection, his blood, and all of that, again, given to us through his own word. In the name of Jesus, amen. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double Edged Sword, sermons by Pastor Kilgo at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We'd like to invite you to join us for church, Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We also have Bible study at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings and at other times throughout the week. Please visit our website at redeemer-lawrence.org for more information. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.